0: Only the brightest stars were visible, all to the west. A dull red glow lit the sky to the northeast, to the color of a blood bruise. Tyrion had never seen a bigger moon. Monstrous, swollen, it looked as if it had swallowed the sun and woken with a fever. Its twin, floating on the sea beyond the ship, shimmered red with every wave. What hour is this? he asked Makoro. That cannot be sunrise unless the east has moved. Why is the sky red? The sky is always red above Valyria, Hugor Hill. A cold chill went down his back. Are we close? Closer than the crew would like, Mokoros said in his deep voice. Do you know the stories in your sunset kingdoms? I know some sailors say that any man who lays eyes upon that coast is doomed. He did not believe such tales himself, no more than his uncle had. Jerry and Lannister had set sail for Valyria when Tyrion was eighteen intent on recovering the lost ancestral blade of House Lannister and any other treasures that might have survived the doom, Tyrion had wanted desperately to go with them, but his Lord Father had dubbed the voyage a fool's quest and forbidden him to take part. And perhaps he was not so wrong. Almost a decade had passed since the Laughing Lion headed out from Lannisport, and Jeryn had never returned. The men Lord Tywin sent to seek after him had traced his course as far as Volantis, where half his crew had deserted him and he had bought slaves to replace them. No free man would willingly sign aboard a ship whose captain spoke openly of his intent to sail into the smoking sea. So those are the fires of the fourteen flames we're seeing reflected on the clouds? Fourteen or fourteen thousand, what man dares count them? It is not wise for mortals to look too deeply at those fires, my friend. Those are the fires of God's own wrath, and no human flame can match them. We are small creatures, men. Some smaller than others. Valyria. It was written that on the day of the doom, every hill for five hundred miles had split asunder to fill the air with ash and smoke and fire blazes so hot and hungry that even the dragons in the sky were engulfed and consumed. Great rents had opened in the earth, swallowing palaces, temples, and entire towns. Lakes boiled or turned to acid. Mountains burst. Fiery fountains spewed molten rock a thousand feet into the air. Red clouds rained down dragonglass and the black blood of demons. And to the north, the ground splintered and collapsed and fell in on itself and an angry sea came rushing in. The proudest city in all the world was gone in an instant. Its fabled empire vanished in a day, the lands of the long summer scorched and drowned and blighted. An empire built on blood and fire, the Valerians reaped the seed they had sown. Welcome everyone, welcome to the Mythical Astronomy Pop-Up Hour thingy, and I have Ball the Bard with me. Unmute yourself and say hello, Ball the Bard.
1: Hello, Ball the Bard. Ha ha
0: ha You got me. You got me with that. So hello folks. Uh, I'm not going to wear those annoying glasses the entire, uh, the entire stream, but I just you know want to start off with something fun. But yes, Blood and Fire, we're here to talk about the Doom. Particularly, we're going to take some conspiratorial angles on the Doom, because it's Sunday Fun Day, and there are conspiracies aplenty running around with the Doom of Valyria.
1: I mean, with, the, with our political situation being what it is, I mean, it's fun to talk about conspiracies that, that don't mean potentially destroying our government.
0: Yes, I will re- refrain from making any sort of jokes, which could end up going, taking the stream <laughs> the wrong way. Uh, but we are here to talk about the Doom. The Doom is fun, the Doom is exciting, the Doom went kaboom, and like I said, there are some conspiratorial boom, angles. Boom, boom,
1: boom, there are some... went boom, <laughs> sorry, I went way back, way back music-wise.
0: <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a few, there's a few ways uh, you can go with that, but they got that Doom, Doom, Doom in Valeria, so... That, that, let's start with the basics, all right? So <laughs> the the Doom of Valeria, essentially George has compared it to Krakatoa and things like that, Mount Vesuvius, uh, except for that it was 14 of them. Valeria was basically an, an entire island chain that was volcanic, or not an island chain, but a peninsula, an myth, if you will. And what happened was they all blew up at once, uh, supposedly, which is quite the thing. It's, it's, it's the first clue that like something unnatural was uh, involved. Um, But the the first thing about Valeria that's interesting to me is that uh, they lived on volcanoes for 5,000 years and we don't hear about any major eruptions. Like, you know, volcanoes erupt periodically. And so the fact that they lived on this entire volcanic peninsula and built this entire civilization all over it and never had any problems with the volcanoes this implies that they were using magic to control the volcanoes. And this is the first thing to understand about the Doom because the 14 fires are implied that they are potentially magical or a source of magic power. And it seems like what happened is that the Valerian sorcerers kept those fires at some sort of equilibrium. They kept them, you know, humming, but not building up pressure and, and blowing up. And this is how they were able to exist living on volcanoes for 5,000 years, which otherwise you wouldn't be able to do. And so this is what happened, is they're suppressing this this volcanic power for 5,000 years and all of a sudden, all of it blows up at once. So it's strongly implied that whatever sorcery they were using to contain the doom was disrupted. And of course that leads us back to the Faceless Men because it is pretty much said in the books that the Faceless Men did this. And I will pull up right. The quote for that. Uh, Go ahead and say hello. Who's in the chat today? What's going on? We got the Dragon Demands, Floris the Fox, Alicia Kingston, Chow AJ, Mystica Fairy.
1: Uh, We had a super chat from Pat Riley that says, Obvi, the Children of the Forest Faceless Men Fireworms attacked. So, yeah, there you go. Stream over. We have solved the problem. That's it. There's no need to talk about it. Obviously, Children of the Forest Faceless Men Fireworms all of them just all all the things happened all at once and of course for anyone who watches avatar the last airbender as soon as i read your quote your thing pat Riley, i immediately thought like everything changed the day that the fireworms attacked which is fire nation attacked fireworms attacked (laughs) ha 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 david doesn't get that because he's never actually seen avatar the last airbender which is so sad because whenever he talks about the moon i want to be like my girlfriend turned into the moon that's rough buddy and he wouldn't get it
0: that does sound promising.
1: Yeah, one of the characters his his girlfriend becomes the moon. Because the moon is like going to be destroyed, so she becomes the new moon. And then another character, like, yeah, they make that joke. That's rough, buddy. Your girlfriend turned into the moon.
0: It's a little bit uh Shannara with the tree, the women that become the tree. Um but Yes. I guess we're in tropeville here because Nissa Nissa did that too.
1: Ooh, you're getting some shame.
0: Shame, what what's going on? Who's shaming me?
1: Yeah, shame on you, David. Uh, Mystical fairy is saying shame on you, David. You have to see it. It's great.
0: Okay, well there you yeah. go. I'll take that as a loving recommendation.
1: Yeah, Carol Funk also says you need to watch it. So yeah, everyone's saying that you need to watch. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Well, I will get him to watch it. It's good.
0: So this is uh, where we're given this clue. Um, the fi- uh, the the kindly man is telling Arya about the first faceless man. And we actually read this quote in the Danny stream last week with Melanie. It's all about how miserable it is in the mines, about how the slaves are toiling, and they're praying for release, and the first faceless man is some dude wandering the hallways who decided that he would be the instrument of these gods that they were praying to, and he gave the gift of mercy to a slave, the most wretched and miserable. And so he's telling this story to Arya, and he says the first gift had been given. Arya drew back from him. He killed the slave? That did not sound right. He should have killed the masters, yes, kill the masters. So he answers, he would bring the gift to them as well, but that is a tale for another day, one best shared with no one. So he straight up says that the faceless men, the very first faceless men, did bring the gift to the masters of Valyria. Now here's the thing, the faceless men started, you know, at, at this point here in the mines, and then we know that at some point uh, they, they. Uh, they went to Bravos with the escaped slaves, that one ship of slaves or three ships or whatever it was, that escaped from Valyria and founded Bravos. Bravos spent a hundred years in the fog, in secret, and then they did the uncloaking. Um, and then once they uncloaked and, and came out, they, they established a relationship with Valyria. Sometime after that is when the doom would have happened. So there was a period of time... When Bravos existed simultaneously with Valeria, and so the faceless men—it's important to understand this. When the Doom happened, the faceless men were not merely in the mines killing slaves. They had—they were established in Bravos, doing their thing, taking money to kill people. Um, so that's the first part of all this. And here we have it, right from the head faceless man. He says, "We were involved with the Doom," right? Mm-hmm,
1: Right. Right, but then he says, that's a be- that's a tale better left for no one, which I have a total crackpot tinfoil theory about, which I can go into now if we want to go into tinfoil. Yeah, go for it. As I was thinking, so if the Faceless Men were somehow involved in killing the Masters, well, a fa- one house escaped, House Targaryen, and so it made me wonder, are the Faceless Men trying to train Arya... To eventually kill off the final Targaryens. Because Ooh. who better to get close to John if they know if they somehow maybe know that John is Rhaegar's son or find out? Who better to get close to John than Arya who he would trust? And so that's why they're trying to get her to like denounce Winterfell and like hmm. disconnect from her family, because John would trust her because she's Arya, but if she no longer had any allegiance to House to House Stark, then she might be willing to kill John.
0: Man, it's getting dark right off the bat. Of course, that's what the Faceless Men want. That doesn't mean that's what Arya's going to do. I haven't thought about that, but that's interesting. The Faceless Men definitely have an anti-dragon agenda, so it does kind of make sense that they might be training Arya to go after Danny or John or both.
1: Right, because he says the story of killing the Masters is a tale left for no one. And we know that no one is, like, the name given to... Um, a faceless man like once they've kind of completed their training so he may be trying to tell her like you don't get to know that till you've completed your training and become no one meaning you don't get to know that until you no longer are like tied with house stark when you no longer have any family ties and why would he want her to like not have any family ties in order to tell her that you would think that like this is the kind of thing that wouldn't necessarily have to wait but they're eventually going to send her off yes oh
0: yes hey Kraken tacos Oh, musical ladder. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Kraken Tacos. In case you missed it last week, that's what we do now for Super Chats. We use our little mini theremin. Wait a second. That's what we do now. And we don't do it too much because that would be too much. We just do it a little bit.
1: Right.
0: So, oh, Carol Funk says Thank you. I've been looking for an explanation of Arya's training that makes sense. She's happy with your tinfoil. Very good.
1: Ooh, yay! Well, thank you, Carol Funk. I like my tinfoil.
0: Now, I will say that with Arya and the Faceless Men, since the topic is is brought up, I do think the Faceless Men are somewhat aware that their training is not taking, and they seem to keep promoting Arya even though she fails and disobeys over and over and over again. So I think that their goal is not necessarily to turn her into an OG actual Faceless Man, mm-hmm. but to use her for, for a very specific purpose. So it, it very much could line up with some sort of thing like that, where they're right. they know that she's not perfectly disassociating from herself. However, they want you know they've got an exact mission for her, so the intention might be different.
1: Right, and and they might not know that John is a Targaryen. So they their quest right now might be to get Arya to potentially be in a position where she could kill Danny as the other Targaryen heir. I'm just thinking of like the Faceless Men seem like they might have a vested interest in getting rid of the last slaveholding, former slaveholding family. Like if they weren't succeeded in killing all the rest of the masters and yet the Targaryens are still sitting right there, like why aren't they? they? Maybe they could be involved in trying to get rid of the last dragons. Who knows? They may have been working with Illyrio and Varys to make Ares go crazy and start the Targaryen Civil War so that all the dragon like all the rest of the Targaryen household would be would be dead. So
0: The Faceless Men are definitely some of the best fodder for conspiracy theories in a song of Ice and Fire. Uh, they mm-hmm. they have money, they have power, they have an agenda that they keep hidden. I don't I don't buy any of their mumbo jumbo about they talk about death being sacred and then they just take money to kill people, so that's not very sacred. That's just transactional but
1: yeah the faceless men like i was just thinking about how they could function similarly to the golden company like the golden company has an has an ultimate agenda which is to get back to westeros but in the meantime they're willing to take contracts and fight for whoever until they are in a position where they can actually accomplish their goals which is to get back to westeros so the faceless men could be operating on a similar thing like their ultimate goal is to make sure that all of the former masters are dead. But in the meantime, they're totally willing to take contracts and kill people, you know, in the meantime, and use all this, you know, freaky blood magic shit to, like, do, you know, all of that while kind of playing a long game of eventually trying to get rid of, you know, the final Valerians.
0: Yeah, George is constantly suggesting that people are trying to get rid of the dragons. Like, with the Dance of the Dragons, it's strongly suggested that the High Towers. Were the ones that had a, some, some kind of agenda like that. And if you think about it, the High Towers are linked to the Maesters, who have a very anti magic agenda. And the High Towers are one of the powerful families that would stand to gain if the Targaryen dynasty sort of lessens or even crumbles. So that's running there. There's even intersections between the Faceless Men and the High Towers that are interesting to discuss. But um, I want to get back to the Doom here. Yeah, so I'm looking for that quote about the Lannister Gold and the prophecy of that gold having something to do with the doom. And I've, that quote is hard to find. I think it's in the World of Ice and Fire. So the the conspiracy thread that we're following, I guess I'll just go ahead and outline the basic idea of it. This isn't my theory. Um, Alt Shift X did a great video on it. It's not his theory either. It's a very old form theory that's been floating around ever since the World of Ice and Fire came out. And so what I'm doing basically is just recapping it and giving it to you guys to check out. But here's the idea, okay? so we know that like i said the faceless men were involved in the doom it strongly suggested that the Valerians, like i said maintained the 14 flames through sorcery so the logical way for the faceless men to cause the doom is simply to assassinate the mages who were keeping that equilibrium because you might even only need to do it in one place there's 14 volcanoes they might have even only needed to start it in one place and once the chain reaction started, the whole thing was gonna go. Because it's, again, it's been, it's think of a fire that, like in a forge, that's banked right to Mm -hmm. a specific spot. Once it's out of control, the thing is already very hot. It's gonna blow up. So that's the simple mechanism. They assassinate the mages here and there. I mean, that's what the Faceless Men do. They do assassination. So it's like, what's the simplest way they can cause the doom? Like they didn't come up with some sort of magical bomb. They just killed the mages and then once that happened everything would would do it's would take its course and and that's the doom. So that's the most likely explanation. The question though is did the faceless men just do this as a continuation of, you know, obviously they were formed in the slave mines of Valyria so they you could basically just say well they just they're cleaning up, you know, the Valyrian slave empire. They're they're killing the people who who enslaved, you know, their people. It's you don't need an extra motivation for it. However, <laughs> However, we are given extra motivations. Mm -hmm. And specifically, uh, it is that line about the gold The wealth of the Westerlands was matched in ancient times with the hunger of the Freehold of Valyria for precious metals, yet there seems no evidence that the Dragonlords ever made contact with the Lords of the Rock, Casterly, or Lannister. Septon Barth speculated on the matter, referring to a Valyrian text that had since been lost, suggesting that the Freehold sorcerers foretold that the gold of Casterly Rock would destroy them. So how can the gold of Casterly Rock bring about the doom? Well, turns out that the uh, Lannisters bought a sword called Brightroar, and they paid a very high price for it. Yeah, the sword Brightroar came into the possession of the Lannister kings in the century before the Doom, and it is said that the weight of gold they paid for it would have been enough to raise an army. So, think about that, it's, this is one of those George clues where, okay, so they gave the gold to, where do you buy Valyrian steel swords from? Obviously some sort of Valyrian. right? And, they, and this gold, they even mentioned the Doom here, just before the Doom. So that doesn't make quite sense though. Okay, so the Valerians sold Brightroar, they got a bunch of money, and how does that have to do with the Faceless Men destroying, the, destroying Valeria? So here's how that would be. Who is the most likely Valerians to have sold Brightroar to the Lannisters, I ask you?
1: Is there is there a Valyrian family that might have potentially a vested interest in the rest of the Valyrians, like no longer existing?
0: There oh. is, oh. and it happens to be the oh. same Valyrian family who was the closest to Westeros. Um, they were known for setting up a specifically a trade outpost. That is what the Targaryens did on Dragonstone before they invaded Westeros. They were a trading uh, island, very in the sort of Phoenician mold. So. Kind of makes you think you got these rich Westerosi, crazy for Valyrian steel swords. There's over 400 of them in Westeros. They bought a lot of them. Do you think that, like, the ancient Starks, when they bought ice, did they sail to Valyria to buy ice? Probably not. They probably bought it from the Targaryens on Dragonstone, or maybe the Valyrians, or the Celtigars, because all three of those... Um, houses come from Valyria, and they were all said to be involved in trading. They all they controlled the Narrow Sea trade basically because they're all island strongholds. And so that is what that is what happened before the Doom. In fact, let me go ahead and pull that quote up about Dragonstone and the Targaryens.
1: So Joe Snow in the chat is saying tinfoil. Tyrion Western Gold will hire Arya faceless men to assassinate Danny. Valeria.
0: T- oh, I didn't think about Tyrion hiring a faceless man. That would be dark.
1: It would be dark. I mean,
0: it makes a lot more sense than like whinging at Jon to kill her, and then Jon just doing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> whinging at Jon with like that horrible speech. I'm not. I'm still. I'm still angry. So I'm just gonna not not talk about that.
0: Thank you, Crackin' Tacos. Yes, you can support me on Patreon. By the way, I'm doing a very cool Patreon music video right now, and if you sign up for Patreon in the next couple days, there will still be time to get your starry nickname into the music video, which is going to be oh so cool. But I've got a very generous super chat sitting here from Michael Scarborough, who is a patron of mine. Uh, It is a community that challenges my views, love. This fandom, Danny, is key to the... Okay, right, so yeah. This... What we're doing here, exactly right. We are trying to challenge what happened with the show and restore faith in Danny, and that, that is exactly what she's meant to, to do defeat the White Walkers I'm glad it's helping Michael and I've, there's a lot of nice comments that I've gotten on the various Danny videos I see them all, um, people talking about just, you know, thank you, thank you for it's good to get to know the character again and I knew it wasn't right what they did on the show and all that kind of stuff so yay! Anyways, yeah. thank you Michael, that was very generous of you I appreciate your support buddy and so, here's the deal, let me like I said, let me f- pull up that quote about the Targaryens and Dragonstone. This will be from the World of Ice and Fire. Uh, okay, the Targaryens were of pure Valyrian blood, dragon lords of ancient lineage. Twelve years before the doom of Valyria, Aenar Targaryen sold his holdings in the Freehold in the lands of the Long Summer, and moved with all his wives, wealth, slaves, dragons, siblings, kin, and children to Dragonstone, a bleak island citadel beneath a smoking mountain in the narrow sea. At its apex, Blurry was the greatest city in the known world, the center of civilization. Within its shining walls, two-score rival houses vied for power and glory in court and council, rising and falling in an endless, subtle, oft-savage struggle for dominance. The Targaryens were far from the most powerful of the Dragonlords, and their rivals saw their flight to Dragonstone as an act of surrender, of cowardice. But Lord Aenar's maiden daughter Daenerys, known forever as Daenerys the Dreamer, had foreseen the destruction of Valyria by fire, and when the doom came twelve years later the Targaryens were the only Dragonlords to survive. Dragonstone had been the westernmost outpost of Valyrian power for two centuries. So before the Targaryens came there, it was already a Valyrian outpost for two centuries. Its location athwart the gullet gave its lords a stranglehold on the Blackwater Bay and enabled both the Targaryens and their close allies, the Valyrians of Driftmark, a lesser house of Valyrian descent, to fill their coffers off the passing trade. Valyrian ships, along with those of another allied Valyrian house, the Celtigars of Claw Isle, dominated the middle reaches of the narrow sea while the Targaryens ruled the skies with their dragons. So that is, you can see the picture here you know, Westeros, there's only a couple houses that have sea power and it looks like in the Narrow Sea during this time, the Targaryens and the Valyrians and the Celtigars pretty much had it locked down. So again, if there is Valyrian steel being traded and sold into Westeros, it's almost certainly going to come through the Targaryens and the Valyrians and through those trading outposts. And so what you've got now is the Lannisters buying Brightroar, the Valyrian steel sword, with enough gold to pay for an army they bought it probably from the Targaryens. So now you have the Targaryens sitting there with enough gold to buy an army. And somehow the Faceless Men were involved in the Doom. And somehow the Gold of Casterly Rock was involved in the Doom. So now you can see how this is working. The Gold of Casterly Rock flowed to the Targaryens. The Targaryens hired the Faceless Men. The Faceless Men killed all the other Valyrians. And the Targaryens were the only ones left with dragons. O fait accompli. And... Honestly, Gretchen, I don't even think this is a conspiracy. I think this is what happened.
1: I mean, the more I think about it, the more it seems fitting, because if the Targaryens were involved in hiring the Faceless Men, then the Targaryens slew the Masters.
0: Oh, they did, didn't they? In the
1: same way that Danny will, that Danny does.
0: Ah, yes. That would kind of make sense. And so my question, and this Mm -hmm. actually ties into what I was just going to get into, is if the Targaryens did this intentionally, either... Actually, it doesn't even matter it, whether if they knew it was coming because of the prophecy or if they planned it because of the Faceless Men. Either way, they knew it was going to happen. So why did not the Targaryens bring with them a lot of the Valyrian technology? For example, they lost the ability to make more Valyrian steel. That must have been done in Valyria, mm. perhaps by a different family, uh, but the Targaryens in Westeros do not make Valyrian steel. They didn't keep that secret. They didn't have Dragonbinder horns. Uh, Euron ge- recovers that from Valeria, quote unquote. Um, but no one has seen one in a long time. House Targaryen never had dragon horns, even glass candles. I could believe that the Targaryens did have some glass candles somewhere that they've used, and maybe we never heard about it because they have all that dragon glass. But we do—we never hear about the Targaryens using glass candles. We don't hear about Aegon or Visenya or anybody using. Them. If anybody did, it would have been Visenya, but we don't hear about it. So that's that's a question mark. Mm-hmm. They also didn't bring slavery, and they didn't bring mm-hmm. a lot of the Valyrian customs. And then when they came to Westeros, they adopted a new religion too. So I'm wondering, and this is my question, was there some intention? Did they intend to like shut down the worst mm. parts of the Valyrian Empire, leave behind certain parts of its magic, and only carry with them certain things to sort of restart? Could that have been part of it?
1: That's an interesting question, because if, especially if the Targaryens were a minor house, in this, you know, big empire, they have may have felt, I don't know whether oppressed is the right word, but they may have felt unhappy with, like, the cultural, with the larger cultural milieu and may have wanted to get out of it. It may also be that just because their house was, like, for slavery, for example, that the Targaryen house was so small. Like, it was R Targaryen and, like, his household. I mean, it might have been a dozen people that that was not enough people to maintain you know like one house can't really maintain a culture is i guess is what i'm getting at like one singular house can't entirely maintain the weight of an entire culture on its back and they may have made the decision to like let's just keep what we believe is necessary about our ourselves and our identity and like let the rest of it go because we don't you know they can't maintain an international slave trade they can't be entirely responsible for for valyrian steel they may not have known for all we know like forging valyrian steel is another very highly specialized skill that ran in families. Maybe there were families that forged Valyrian steel and the Targaryens didn't know how to do it. So it was just like, well, guess we lost that.
0: So that's the most, that's the most logical answer. But one, one thing I'm, I'm trying to get at is the morality the factor here because what the Targaryens did not do mm-hmm. is they did not go to Dragonstone and then try to recreate a new Valyrian Empire. And we do right. see that other people try to do that. It, after the fall of Valeria some dragon lords uh, try to do that in Volantis but get overthrown and and so and uh there's another one that tries to go take its a big army together um Orion I believe his name was and he tried to go to Valeria to restart the empire like there were people that wanted to to re- that had dragons after the doom a few people in Volantis and Orion had a dragon and they they wanted to restart um uh, Valeria, but they they were not able to. My point is that right. the, the Targaryens did not try to do that. They sat on mm-hmm. Dragonstone for 114 years before Aegon got okay. the idea of conquering Westeros. And then when he conquered Westeros, he didn't recreate Valeria either. He he basically no. ruled as a Westerosi king. Right. So yeah, there could it's possible. That there was intention of leaving some of this behind and it wasn't simply right. a matter of they didn't have the technology or their family didn't do the glass candles or whatever although that's obviously mm-hmm. a thing
1: right right but in terms of yeah they didn't that's a good point they didn't try to recreate valyria and yet they would have been the best poised to do so in terms of they had the resources they had three three you know multiple dragons however many they had when they were on Dragonstone when they you know first landed there um they had the ability to breed more dragons like they were the best poised to recreate Valyria and yet they decided not to which again like now that i keep thinking about it like that's a really interesting parallel with danny that like this idea of like killing the masters and not recreating systems of oppression might also run in her family as a smaller thread alongside the idea that the targaryens were from a slave holding empire from we know they were the valyrian equivalent of abolitionists i don't know like (laughs) we don't know if there are any anti-slave movements but maybe i'm just totally wildly speculating but it's interesting to think about in terms of since so much of her arc is about the legacy of being targaryen and being a valyrian and having dragons and what that means the idea of killing the masters being a part of that legacy is actually really interesting because then she's in some sense also fulfilling her own family legacy as well as potentially subverting it in other ways so that um, that's actually, that's a really interesting thing to think about.
0: Yeah that really is Um. yeah uh...
1: Chris B pipes up saying Danny is basically writing the wrongs of generations before her and that's a very interesting idea of what a hero is which is true that the hero is the one who writes the wrongs of the past not just the wrongs of the present because that's part of what the hero does is usually there are bad things happening in the present reality. Um, And so it's their role to right those wrongs, but also someone who specifically is righting the wrongs of their their ancestors and past generations.
0: What I noticed is when I was doing the Danny research from Storm of Swords, is obviously I named the episode that I did Slay the Masters, and it's this pinnacle line, slay the good masters, slay everyone that has a Tokar. That's in the third book. In the fourth book is when we get this Arya story, and Arya uses that exact language saying he should have slayed the masters. So when they, when he's like, I think that George is intending to connect that in the minds of the reader, especially thinking Mm -hmm. about this, like, oh, well the Faceless Men did slay the masters, but they were paid by House Targaryen to do so. And here comes Danny. And and that's why I get the idea that maybe House Targaryen didn't just do this for pure advantage. Maybe they took Mm -hmm. down the Valyrian Empire because they thought it was wrong. I mean, it's not a crazy right. thought that somewhere in the 5,000-year mm-hmm. course of the Empire, some Valerian lord is going to be like, wait a minute. Aren't we sort of genocidal slave lord maniac killer people? Isn't this bad? And maybe mm-hmm. has a different mm-hmm. thought. And what do you do? Like, you can't overthrow the Valerian Empire with, like, five right. dragons. Like, they have hundreds of dragons. They sent 300 dragons against the Roinar and boiled the frigging river. So how do you stop something so evil there's nothing in a song of ice and fire that is as evil as the valerian slave empire nothing and so if you wanted to end it how would you do that this is how i mean this is how mm-hmm. you'd hire the faceless men to do it and you would, and you would tell nobody <laughs> you'd be like oh yes uh, uh, my Prophecy. niece had this dream uh yeah
1: she had a dream that that everyone was and oh man no one believed her damn it sucks for them we were the only ones who believed her prophecy yeah we had nothing to do with it guys nope not at all no that makes sense and that that is a very interesting it's a very interesting and intriguing possibility and i'm not sure we're ever going to get answers on it but it could be that that martin's doing his typical elusive thing because you know sometimes looking at the history gives us insight into the present Sometimes looking at the history of, you know, the world of Westeros and on the stories from the past and the legends and, and all of that gives us insight into the present, but sometimes it works the other way. Sometimes what's going on now we can use maybe understand events that are more mysterious in the past. So it could be that him showing us Danny slaying the masters is his way of like reflecting back on the Targaryen's involvement in the Doom. And we're meant to kind of connect those things present should show us what the past did as opposed to the other way, which is typically a lot of how, especially like you and I are working with predicting kind of endgame for the winds of winter and a dream of spring is like looking at the past to understand what might be coming in the future, but it may be that the present is supposed to do the same thing.
0: George is uh, he's a big fan of that whole Wheel of Time concept, and it uh, it's <laughs> never repeats exactly the same, but yeah, past and future often have those nice ties to each other. And so yep. here is... The quote about uh, so okay, well, it does say okay. So two quotes. One is that when it says that Aenar went to Dragonstone, it said that uh, with all his wives, wealth, slaves, dragons, siblings, kin, and children. So he did take slaves okay. to Dragonstone. Now I don't know how long they kept those slaves because obviously slaves aren't allowed in Westeros. So right, if-
1: and we don't really hear about them after that. No. Basically from Aegon, by the time we get to Aegon the Conqueror, like, there's no mention of slaves.
0: And it is still possible that um, perhaps he was doing the drawing the line saying, well, my household slaves that I treat nicely are fine, but, you know, and, and wiping out a whole peoples and shoving them, force-feeding them into the mines to die is wrong. Um, that is a moral line that somebody could have drawn within the context right. of that historical time period, but... Duly noted. Thank you, uh, someone, for bringing that up. And then, this is the other quote I wanted to bring up. Uh, this is tying. This is something we were talking about a second ago. But this just really locks down the idea that it was the Targaryens selling Valyrian steel to Westeros. So, with the destruction of the Roynar, Valerius soon achieved complete domination of the western half of Essos, from the Narrow Sea to Slaver's Bay, and from the Summer Sea to the Shivering Sea. Slaves poured into the Freehold and were quickly dispatched beneath the Fourteen Flames to mine the precious gold and silver the Freeholders loved so well. Perhaps in preparation for their crossing of the Narrow Sea, the Valerians also established their westernmost outpost on the isle that would come to be known as Dragonstone, some two hundred years before the Doom. No king opposed them, and though the local lords of the Narrow Sea made some effort to resist it, the strength of Valeria was too great. With their arcane arts, the Valerians raised the Citadel of Dragonstone. Two centuries passed, centuries in which the coveted Valerian steel began to trickle into the Seven Kingdoms more swiftly than before. So, that pretty much tells you, once they established Dragonstone, more Valerian steel came into Westeros. So that really does tell you that... If the Lannisters brought Bright Roar, they would have bought it from the Targaryens on Dragonstone, and that's where mm-hmm. that gold went. So can you think of any other way that the gold, and I'm wearing my gold dragon sweater here, of uh, House Lannister could play into the doom? I mean, there's really not another way that it can be involved mm-hmm. other than this theory. And that's why I say I really do think that this is what happened. That the that the Bright Roar money went to House Targaryen, they hired the Faceless Men, and that's what happened. And so here's the thing, if that's true, and the Faceless Men know that House Targaryen pulled an inside job, hashtag the Doom was an inside job, could they actually not be totally anti danny Like, if Danny is a dragon lord that ends Mm -hmm. slaves, and they know that the Targaryens brought down Valyria, I don't know, it just makes it a little more complex. Like, could that knowledge, the fact that the Faceless Men know about this, could it be important? That's the question I'm asking.
1: No, that that does raise a good point, and it might explain why the faceless men never moved against the Targaryens. Because someone had brought that up earlier when I was when I was running my tinfoil about Arya that they the faceless men didn't move against the Targaryens even after they came to Westeros. So far as we know, um, they never moved against them. So if they were kind of working together to end slavery in Valyria, or at least that the faceless men knew, like the Targaryens are the people who originally hired us. To assassinate, you know, the the guild masters that then led to the doom of Valeria. Maybe we should leave them alone. Like maybe, maybe they're the good master. Like maybe they're the good, you know, they're good Valerians.
0: So you see the train of thought here that I'm I'm saying. Like yep. so, someone else brought that up. If the faceless men brought down the Empire of Valeria because they don't like dragons and slave lords. Why then did they not go and finish off the Targaryens, who only right. had a few dragons and a few people? A few, a few, couple of, like one faceless man could have done it. I mean, look at what, right. look at all the damage Andrew Farman did, you know? <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> yeah. And especially because up until Aegon. Like, the Targaryens seemed pretty happy to just kind of sit on Dragonstone and, and do whatever their thing was, whether it was continuing trading, probably. They didn't seem at all poised to, like, even take over Westeros. They were just sitting around until Aegon got involved, you know, until Aegon and his sisters invaded. So, I mean, yeah, they could very well have just, like, left them well enough alone for that long for that reason. I think that's a really good idea. I like that.
0: And that's another sign of a conspiracy, isn't it? Like, the fact that they didn't, they left the Targaryens alone after killing all the other dragon lords. Because, like I said, they were so close to finishing the job and ridding the world of dragons. Wouldn't they have been worried that the the dragons eventually would have multiplied and you would have had the whole problem again? So. Mm. right
1: or just recreating valyria like you were saying earlier like why didn't they seem to be worried that like targaryens the only like valyrian household left with dragons wasn't just going to restart valyria once they settled um which the faceless men would not want to have happened
0: yep and crispy has another crispy has a related point here danny coming to bravo's where the faceless men are located has to mean something important too no way the ah. faceless men never knew about her until recently she That's wasn't exactly good. hidden yeah
1: she was hanging with the sea lord yeah i mean she and her brother were living with the. Sea. that may actually have been why bravos was willing to take them in now that you think about it that the bravosi were willing to take in danny and viserys the sea lord of bravos not just bravos but like the head guy of Braavos was willing to take them in, be- precisely because they're Targaryens. And there's some history there.
0: Kind of like Putin's Putin's Russia, like you don't get rich in Putin's Russia without Putin's say-so. I don't think you become the Sea Lord of Braavos without faceless men approval. Right?
1: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: that is another interesting conspiratorial angle.
1: Right. Oh and like and when you look at fire and blood there are a lot of ties between the Targaryens and the bank the Iron Bank doesn't I think one of the Targaryens at one point marries someone who's high up in the Iron Bank or really well connected to it there are lots of ties between the Targaryens you can you can trace some ties between the Targaryens and you have the Iron Bank and like the Iron Bank and the Faceless Men are like toll like hand in glove they're absolutely i'm 100 percent convinced that they're connected and that the vaults that they keep all the money are somehow connected to the vaults in the in the house of black and white that like the iron bank is just like the facade for the faceless men or that they're like very very closely tied
0: well that's so, that's de- i take that as a given but this raises yeah. a new question of what they want that book the death of dragons that Jaken was stealing from the citadel for everyone assumed well, cuz that book is called The Death of Dragons, but it actually just contains tons of dragon knowledge. So, they mm-hmm. might be getting that book to figure out how to kill dragons, or they might be getting it to potentially help Daenerys if they have a different agenda. I've never even thought about that. And it sounds crazy, either. but
1: it Sounds crazy, but I feel like we're just follow we're pulling at this little thread in a tapestry and like seeing where it goes. That's interesting to think about that they could be wanting to work with Danny, not against danny Hmm. Hmm. and they've got they've got an agent in old town right now which is where euron is heading and where you know danny could potentially link up there i think it could be interesting to like see if the faceless men ever contact danny because it is okay so it okay when you think about it has danny ever been attacked by a faceless man Lots of people have tried to assassinate her, but the faceless men have. Like, no one's tried to hire a faceless man to attack Danny. Or so far as we know, no one's tried to hire a faceless man to attack Danny.
0: No one successfully has hired a faceless man. Let's put it that way.
1: Right. Yes. No one has successfully hired a faceless man. But, like, a bunch of other kinds of assassins have been hired. The Sorrowful Men, and you have the the wine cellar. Like, people are trying to assassinate Danny. Several people. Several people with money. Like, it's not like the like. The the people in Carth don't have the money. If they can hire a sorrowful man, the sorrowful man. Turn- mm? So
0: yeah, Littlefinger yeah. suggested it, but it was shot down, and nobody ever did it. So right, I'm wondering if right. God, this has really got my wheels turning. See the faceless. Mm-hmm. So so let's ask this question: If the faceless men don't want to just kill Danny and kill the dragons, that means that they have a use for Danny and the dragons. Uh-huh. What could that use be? Well, they could be aware of the others and the White Walker threat. They could be aware of Euron and what he's been mm-hmm. doing. Those are the two things that leap to mind, right? Right. I mean, the Faceless Men, I mean, they kind of know everything. That's the thing. Like, they stay aware. They collect information. And they seem to be aware right. of just about everything. The Iron Bank is obviously aware of everything that's going on in the North. So. Right. Yeah.
1: They. Ha- I mean, they have to know what Danny is doing in Slaver's Bay. And if any of them were on the fence, like... This is a sign that Danny is someone who, who who if the ideology behind the founding of the Faceless Men or a significant part of it was killing the masters, like Danny is like their Azora High, I guess. Like she <laughs> she's someone they would want on their side because she's willing to kill the mod she's willing to destroy the modern version of the slave trade in the same way that um, you know, the Targaryen was involved in destroying the the Valerians. Um it just seems like there are a lot of threads that you can connect, and whether or not maybe they didn't have a use for her before, but now that she's you know been in Slaver's Bay and done everything that she's done, maybe now they could potentially find a use for her.
0: But like we said, they've they've been choosing not to kill her for a while, and it could just be plot convenience because George didn't right. want Danny to die, and he wanted the faceless men to exist, and he just hasn't invented a reason why they didn't kill her yet. Um, but for the most part. George's plotting usually bears this kind of scrutiny. You can usually thread through it and, and figure out, you know, reasons why people would do things that make sense. So, yeah, this is, this is what I'm wondering. What, could they, what purpose could they have for Danny? Um, I mean, their anti-slavery is presumably, at least they were when they were founded. It's been a long time, though, so their mission could have drifted. That's just the thing about the faceless men is we just really don't know what they're up to. So. Right,
1: because it makes me, start, where my wheels start going is, are they aware of the others? Do they know what the others are? And could they be aware that Danny is someone who could destroy the others? I mean, the face when you think about faceless man ideology, on the surface of it, their religion is about giving the gift of mercy to those who feel trapped in within their existence like they have the whole temple set up yes you can hire them as assassins but the religious death cult part of it is that people can come to them for the gift of death the gift of death typically as like a release probably from suffering of some kind correct yeah think about how that maps onto the others and the whites as like needing release and freedom and the gift of death like the fi- the gift of a final death instead of being brought back to life and controlled by an outside force like danny is poised to bring the gift like the final gift of death to all of the dead bot like all of the whites that have ever been controlled by the others and she does so by slaying the masters so the hmm. two things we know about the faceless men are two things that line up with who danny is as a person she slays the masters and she's poised to free those who are trapped by giving them the gift of a final death and a final rest, which is everything that the faceless men represent. So like- Very good points. You could draw a line saying, if if the faceless men are aware of what the others are and maybe this death cult is their way of preserving some ancient idea that eventually you have to kill the others. Like it could very well be that this is like a religious remnant, remnant of an older idea of like, there are masters out there and the way that you, you have to destroy them and give the gift of death. And that like who are they but the others
0: so so you said a few interesting things in there um and i want to stop you before you say any more interesting things <laughs> um so uh okay so the motivation the motivations work um and what i was going to say is that the faceless men they are not magic skeptical like they believe in magic they seem to be using magic in fact the way that i see the faceless men as they approach magic in a very utilitarian fashion and i i think that They basically connect, they collect techniques, whether it's, you know, Jaikin does a visual illusion where he passes his hand over his face and changes his face. That is sorcery. Um, What they do with Arya is arguably sorcery, although it could be kyburn esque pseudoscience as well. Uh, But the point is, the Faceless Men definitely are aware of magic. They arguably use magic. Mm -hmm. And so, they would probably be aware and concerned about the White Walkers. Um, then we have uh, Hardhome and the wildlings that were picked up as slaves and taken to Bravos. So just recently, if you remember Mother Mole, that wildling that led a bunch of them to the That's to Hardhome right. to the frozen mm-hmm. shore, they were picked up by Bravosi slave ships. Two big ships came and picked up a bunch of slaves, and they're talking about going back for more. Well, not
1: Bravosi slave and so,
0: ships,
1: but slave ships. Um, they can't be Bravosi because Bravos t- doesn't have slavery.
0: So Arya hears about it in Bravos. Right. I think what happens is the Bravosi he one of the right. ships. That's what it is. They seize one of them because like yes. you said they're anti-slavery, but the news reaches Arya that these slave ships have been picked up at Hardhome. And those all those slave ships are going to have wildlings on board, which are going to have tales of whites and others, multiple accounts. Mm-hmm. So if the faceless men Weren't aware of the white walker threat before they definitely are now That is what I was trying to right. say. Yeah, this is cool. This is not a direction I thought this was gonna go in as far as reevaluating what the right. purposes of the faceless men might be But that is but, yeah, pretty so exciting. yeah, they
1: could be aware of the others and and what I was starting to get into was the idea that their religion in and of itself Might be some cultural artifact of the knowledge of the others that they're somehow tied together and so that might be their way of preserving the knowledge that if, like you have to, that someone has to give the gift of death. Um, and that's their role. And it's a sacred role to give the gift of death, to be the part of bringing death and that death is a gift. Death is a gift and death is a mercy. And that's what we're seeing with with Danny that like there is like right. there is a form of death that is merciful. Um, By killing the whites, that's like freedom and death for the whites are the same thing. Because what is trapped is like whatever is left of their soul or consciousness inside of their body when they become whited. Like we see when Bran takes control of Hodor or with Thistle and Vermeer Sixskins, that there is kind of something left. And that thing being left behind, like, it shouldn't happen. That's an abomination. That whatever that piece of themselves is ought to go on. So death and freedom is the same thing for the whites. So Danny being poised to free the white slaves is also Danny bringing death. She's also then a death bringer. But in that sense, it's a good thing. Uh, Kind of like the Faceless Men. The Faceless Men would be all about death bringing his mercy in this case.
0: And and as as you and I have discovered, finding these thematic links between different ideas in the story right. is often very fruitful because George is a good writer and he's done eighth grade book reports and he likes themes. Right. And so I really like this idea that, you know, why would the faceless men like Danny Welsh? Not only does she slay the masters, but like you said, she is bringing a deliverance style mm-hmm. gift of death right. and. To the extent that we've talked about uh, Danny's destructive dragon nature, we've talked about it as a cleansing fire that's gonna clean away the rot. And if she plants seeds, which she does plant seeds, she grows, not only does she plant trees in Marine, by the way, she plants beans. Lowly, simple, humble beans. So if Danny does plant seeds for the future, like we said, Mm -hmm. she probably won't be around to see them harvest, but go ahead.
1: Oh, um, recall that the first ones to die were the slaves that the first ones to receive the gift of death were slaves. Mm-hmm. In the same way that the last ones to receive the gift of death in the story could be the slave whites. Like that it's when Arya hears the story about the faceless men she says she sh- they should have slayed the masters but that's because it was the slaves that were being killed. The slaves were the ones being given mercy because of their suffering, which is what Danny will I think be doing. She's going to be freeing the slaves by killing them in the same with the gift of mercy in the same gift of a merciful death in the same way that the first slaves in the mines were the were the first ones to die with the gift of mercy so it all kind of like seems to go together and the other thing it makes me think of of what is what a good thematic parallel it would be then for aria to be killing lady stoneheart which is one of my personal things that i want to see happen because thematically it's really powerful also heartbreaking for aria to have to kill lady stoneheart but that would be a really a really really good parallel because Arya is trained as a faceless man she's literally trained as a faceless man for her to have to go and give the gift of a merciful death to her whited mother would fit very well with danny being the one to give the gift of a merciful death to all of the whites like it would be a perfect one of those like echoes that please george please
0: and just to tease some of the Danny stuff that um, I've been doing on my channel with Ball the Bard and Melanie Lot 7, um, in case you haven't seen those, I've got three Danny videos up now, and they're in a playlist right on the front of my YouTube page. And uh, we did talk about this. We teased this idea, we talked about it a little more in depth, and I'm going to follow up on it again. But yeah, Danny is marching through Slaver's Bay and her entire arc, basically protecting people, collecting strays collecting refugees and adopting them as her children and so she's liberating slaves she's taking care of children and she's slaying the masters and we've pointed out just as gretchen was saying that you can take that theme and carry it out and see how it will apply to the others because the others the whites are called thralls and so we have that slave master uh, situation set up and if these whites as gretchen was saying are suffering in some way if their soul is trapped in some way, they're not allowed to move on to the afterlife, whatever it is, to go into the rocks and trees and shrubs and bushes, then killing the whites will be liberating them as slaves and killing the others would be equivalent to slaying the masters. And then as I was mentioning last week, Danny has her, basically her, her killing the others dream, her biggest foreshadowing of fighting the others when she's flying on dragon back at the Trident and melting enemies armored in ice. She has that dream the night before she goes and frees the Unsullied, which is also compared to the Trident. So the, the idea of her fighting the Others is directly linked to her propensity for freeing slaves. And so that is yet another, I think one of the most strongest pieces of evidence. The conclusion of her arc will be in the North fighting the Others, not coming back down to fight Cersei after all that is done. That entire order is, is screwed up. Yeah.
1: I don't know how to change names brings up a really good point, um, and I'm interested to hear what you think about it. Uh, he says the faceless men are putting on the face of the dead and walking around as the dead. Faceless men are thematically the others, not the anti others. What do you think about that? Because one of my first thoughts is that the faceless men seem more parallel to like the shadowy assassins. Oh, um, potentially, potentially green zombies maybe. But the idea of like they are a guild of like dark assassins and the dark assassins. Seem to be more aligned with like the the Weirwood goddess attempting to escape versus the people who are entrapping the Weirwood goddess. So, so let's t- pause that. Go ahead. Sorry. Heavy symbolism.
0: No, no, it's fine. I'm just, I was back up yep. before we get too in the weeds and no one knows what the hell we're talking yep. about. So the House of Black and White has a ton of Weirwood and Green Seer symbolism. Right. Uh, the kindly old man parallels Blood Raven, especially when Arya plucks the worm out of his eye. It's an illusion. Mm-hmm. But, of course, Blood Raven's root in his eyes, described as a worm, and the, the doors are weirwood and ebony. It's got a moon face, so you got a weirwood face on the front door. You go in and it's all dark inside, just like Blood Raven talks about, you know, darkness is your mother's milk bran, and they hide in the dark, and the darkness keeps them safe and all that. So there's these very, very strong parallels between the House of Black and White and basically the inside of the weirwood tree. And so Arya has all this cool uh, skinny squirrel, child of the forest and uh, symbolism as well as her actual skin changer ability. So it makes sense to see her running around inside of a symbolic weirwood tree. So the question is, the faceless men, what do they symbolize? Well, I think there is a certain parallel to them wearing the dead faces and the others controlling the whites. But that doesn't mean that they're the same because frequently we find opposite forces in this story that have that sort of parallel relationship. And I think that if you look at the faceless men, they're a little bit different in that um, the, the dead faces that they have either come from people who come and give themselves up willingly to the mm-hmm. temple or really bad people that, you know, got somebody went and paid to have them killed, um, which is not obviously consensual as the, as the other one, but <laughs> it's not exactly a direct parallel to the, to the others um, enslaving everyone. I don't know, so far the people we've heard about the Faceless Men killing were bad people. Except for, uh, I guess Pate, the pig boy, didn't really do nothing wrong. He was kind of, I mean, he was kind of... He was kind of, kind of a shitty, tool,
1: but, but, I mean, I don't think... Not yeah, the kind of tool no. that, like, just immediately deserves to die. He's just kind of a shit. No, shitted. no.
0: I was thinking of the guy Arya kills, who collects the binders on the sailors and then double-cross some poor widow or something. Like, yeah, kill that guy.
1: Was that in the books?
0: Uh, That's in uh, Dance with Dragons.
1: Okay, because I know it was on the show. On the show, they made it very clear that there's, like, kill, he's a bad person, kill him. First, I felt like I can't, but I can't remember. So, I trust you. You've read it more recently than I have.
0: So, here's, that reminded me of a really cool Arya foreshadowing scene. So, this is when Arya is scouting this kill. And she goes down to the inn, and she sees this broker taking binders and stuff, and she's basically observing him. Um, and she's going by Cat of the Canals, by the way. So she's, the narrative is referring to her as Cat here. So The old man's hands were the worst thing about him, Cat decided the next day, as she watched him from behind her barrow. Behind her barrow. <laughs> <laughs> his fingers were long and bony, always moving, scratching at his beard, tugging at an ear, drumming on the table, twitching, twitching, twitching. He has hands like two white spiders and Arya kills him with coins. I have to look, but they, you know some of those coins are dragons. But the point is, we've got a man with hands like white spiders, and they're white bony hands, which is the description of the others. Mm-hmm. So this is a lot of other symbolism on this guy that Arya is being sent to kill. So that does give me hope that the Faceless Men might be anti-other mm. and that maybe they are preparing people to fight the others or at the very least that that's what is gonna do oh looks like the bird timer is off one second
1: for everyone who doesn't know that's cleo she's throwing a tantrum and she makes the most ridiculous noise she sounds like she's a turkey being strangled which is funny because as you will see hopefully hopefully david will bring her around she's a very dignified very beautiful bird she's very pretty
0: and so I want to thank every, all 170 people who are indulging the bird talk and hopefully enjoying the stream here. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's any other things I wanted to get to about the Doom. I mentioned the idea that House Targaryen was shaped by the Doom, and we've touched mm-hmm. on that. So consider, consider where House Targaryen comes from. Like I said, they are the survivors of this empire. They only brought five dragons. They didn't bring a lot of the Valyrian technology. And they kind of hit a, hit a res- refresh, a restart. You know, the fact that they sat on Dragonstone for 114 years and didn't do anything with their dragons, really, I got to think maybe they were lying low. You know, it's like the Valyrians have a bad reputation and they didn't want to lose their dragons that they had. They, I think they took five with them, is what it said. Mm. Um, but they definitely laid low for a while mm. before Aegon decided to conquer Westeros. So, you have any idea why Aegon did that by the way? It's not really clear.
1: <laughs> sure. Not not really clear. I don't know. I don't buy into the Aegon conquered Westeros to eventually fight the Others. I don't entirely buy that idea. I think that I think he was goaded into it. I think it had everything to do with just well, cuz it all starts because like he he's petitioned by one of the one of the houses of the Trident to like come you know, come fight for my side and I'll let you marry my daughter and he's like, I already got two wives so I could just, I could just take it like, I don't need your daughter how about I just come in and like take over all of you take over all y'all I got the sense that Aegon also that he might have been encouraged by his wives to do more he doesn't strike me as entirely ambitious without being roused Aegon doesn't He strikes me as someone who kind of had to be like, hey, 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 how about, hey, hey, we've got dragons. We could just go, like, take their shit from them, you know? We could just do that.
0: So I was thinking about this yesterday. He's a little bit of a Mary Sue, a little bit of an empty suit, an empty vessel. Like, he doesn't, we don't have strong quotes from him. There's not a lot of passion that we see. He kind of does things, like, pretty well, and, like, but there's just, the only time we ever see emotion from him is that Dornish letter thing, which is really hard to understand. He gets upset and squeezes the letter and his hand bleeds and he flies a dragonstone mm-hmm. and lets you know makes a pack the next day. But apart from that, Aegon really is like we only understand him from the history books. We don't understand anything about him personally, really. We know more about Rainey's and Visenya's personalities than we do Aegon. right. Which is kind of weird.
1: Right, and and Alicia Kingston is pointing out that like, even down to ruling, Aegon seemed to leave that to his sisters. Yeah, that he did. like- exactly. That they, t- like even in the histories, they say that like, they say that Aegon sat the throne, but like his sisters basically did everything for him. That they seem to definitely have been the, br- the brains. He might've been the brawn and he might've been the face because he's a dude and it was Westeros, which is patriarchal. And so you can't just have like the ladies in charge. Yeah, so Aegon may have been the face of the crown, but it does seem like his sisters were... And I would say probably Visenya more than than Rhaenys. Visenya seems to be the ambitious one, the ones with desire for conquest and being in charge, even more than Rhaenys was. Which isn't to say that Rhaenys might not have had those same ambitions, but Visenya seems to be the one with the strongest ambition of the three.
0: Yes, and if you look at Fire and Blood, she... Often was pushing Megor to do things too. Right,
1: exactly. Um,
0: so I really do. I really do. Like, should we be talking about Visenya the Conqueror more than Aegon Visenya. the Conqueror? Quite possibly. Which so. maps
1: really interestingly onto uh, Alicent Hightower and Aegon the Second during the Dance, mm. because Aegon the uh, yes. Second doesn't seem to have been as ambitious, but the Hightowers absolutely were. And Alicent Hightower really resented the fact that Viserys the never made Aegon the Second his legitimate heir. She was super pissed because she tried. I mean, she tried. She really wanted Aegon on the throne. And Aegon seems to have been more the like, well, if you're gonna give it to me, I guess, sure, I'll take it. And you know, when he ascended the throne, his family, like, he was told that Rhaenyra was going to kill his whole family if he didn't steal the throne from her. So like, sure. And once he got on the throne, he clearly wanted to have power, but I think the initial nudge getting him there probably came from Alicent. And that might also map on to Visenya, that she seems to be the one who had desire for for greater authority. Because you're right, she pushes Maegor, too. Because yeah. she also, yeah, she resented the fact that Maegor was not the firstborn child as well. And she really wanted Maegor to be on the throne, but instead it was Aenys, and she may have even been in, you know, involved in killing him, so...
0: So she's showing consistently that she is aggressive, assertive, pulls strings. Visenya does all that stuff, so it would make a lot of sense if she was pushing Aegon. That really would. And so, of course, this is where we mentioned that yesterday we found out House of the Dragon is casting for Aegon, Rainies and Visenya, which means that it is starting with the Conquest, which we weren't sure about. We weren't sure if they were gonna start with the Dance or go all the way back to the Conquest. And we know that they probably are gonna do the Dance, so this means that we could have different seasons that jump forward in time with whole new castings. That's what I was hoping they would do. Yeah. And I don't really see any other way to do it, you know, because once the conquest runs its course, I mean, I don't know that they're just gonna keep going with like, all right, now we're gonna talk about Aenys and Megor and their children and their descendants and just work all the way through it. I think they're probably gonna dip into the stuff that has the most characters. The Dance of the Dragons is by far the most fleshed-out drama in all of Fire and Blood. It has the most well-developed plot lines, multiple interests happening. The Conquest is probably second, but even with The Conquest, it's a little bit threadbare, and they're going to have to pump it up and add some more characters to, like, really flesh it out and make it a whole show. And I guess Jahari's and Alysanne is the other era that has enough material.
1: Yeah, so that could get you three seasons.
0: Yeah. Or six, you know, two for each.
1: Yeah, and potentially because... Leading up to Jaehaerys, you have Magor, Magor the Cruel. And that's like, it's really shitty period of history, but like enough stuff happens that you could do Magor the Cruel. And then if they do do that, I'm super excited because then I would get to see that we might get Reyna and Alyssa Farman, who I love. I love them. That's what I mentioned this earlier. Someone came in and said they admired my headgear. So uh, earlier this year at Ice and Fire Con, I did a Reyna Targaryen cosplay and it was this Reyna it's the Reyna Targaryen who uh who's she's the older sister to Jaheris. and this was my crown for Reyna I love Reyna um and we could get Alyssa Farman which would be really cool to have Alyssa Farman because she's awesome and she's Quaithe um yes and she's Quaithe I was just about to say that you finished (laughs) my thought I was like and she's Quaithe which would you know tie in very nicely so yeah it was pretty exciting
0: um Here's a cool quote that I wanted to read that I got a couple queued up here. Just some Valeria Doom-related quotes. So here it says, Archmaester Marwyn's Book of Lost Books. This is Roderick the Reader talking in the Iron Islands. He lifted his gaze from the pages to study her. Hotho brought me a copy from Old Town. He has a daughter. He would have me wed. Lord Roderick tapped the book with a long nail. See here? Marwyn, that's Marwyn the Mage, claims to have found three pages of signs and portents. Visions written down by the maiden daughter of Aenar Targaryen before the Doom came to Valyria. So, George is teasing this a little bit. Um, Roderick the Reader, Marwyn the Mage, Tyrion, these are all people that either have seen this book or could come in contact with the book that could know something about this. So, the idea of these dragon books, there's a few floating around. There's Signs Importance, there's um, literally one called Fire and Blood, and there's the one that Marwyn uh, that is the one that Marwyn stole from the not Marwyn, sorry, Jaikan from the Citadel. That is called the Death of Dragons, but also known as Fire and Blood. Correct? I think so. Yeah. So I love books, and I like that George is starting to like circulate some of these books. Um, I dig that. And it's also interesting that Roderick the Reader is in the Euron plot arc, and he's talking about the doom of Valyria, and he's talking about signs' importance, and of course Euron has the Dragonbinder Horn. Which I have a quote about here. That horn you heard, I found amongst the smoking ruins that were Valeria, where no man has dared to walk but me. This is Euron, obviously. You heard its call and felt its power. It is a dragon horn, bound with bands of red gold and Valerian steel, graven with enchantments. The dragon lords of old sounded such horns before the doom devoured them. With this horn, Iron Men, I can bind dragons to my will. Mm. So there's the. What I'm saying is that all the stuff about the Doom and ancient Valyrian sorcery is something that is floating up in the story. And Marwyn the mage is probably bringing one of those glass candles to Daenerys, which means she'll probably be using the glass candle. And here is the quote. Pate knew about the glass candles, though he had never seen one burn. They were the worst kept secret of the Citadel. It was said that they had been brought to Old Town from Valyria a thousand years before the Doom. He had heard there were four. One was green, and three were black, and all were tall and twisted. So I am crossing my fingers that Marwyn has the green one and is bringing Danny the green glass candle. But regardless of that, as I've said many times, Marwyn the mage, last we saw him, is very concerned about the Others and about Daenerys being the only one that can fight the Others, and he's going to Slaver's Bay to help Daenerys. So is he gonna bring one of these glass candles with him that he's been using to keep tabs on the Others this whole time? Of course he is. That means that Danny's gonna be coming in contact with a glass candle, and probably using it. I suspect this is how Danny will quote unquote go to a shy, which George originally had planned for her to go to a shy and decided not to. So I think that the whole level of Valerian sorcery is going to be rising. And I think that knowledge about the doom and knowledge about dragons is going only becoming more important in the story. Isn't that right, though? Yes.
1: Cleo, Cleo has a lot of gestures for this.
0: She's doing great today. Aren't you girl? Yeah. Okay. Bruce is a high claim. Aww. <laughs> all high Aww. Alright, so I think Aww. I think okay. that pretty much wraps up most of what I wanted to say. Um, I don't want to just keep going. I, I think this is mostly what I wanted to talk about. And I I think we proved this thing stronger than I even intended on. I called it a conspiracy theory when I started out, but the more I thought about it, I don't see any other way that line about the gold from Casterly Rock mm-hmm. applying and This all just makes too much sense. It even starts to make sense out of why the Faceless Men didn't go and finish off the Targaryens and why they haven't killed Danny, And all that's Mm -hmm. really super interesting.
1: Right. And it fits so well with what you've been talking about with Danny, as Burning the Masters and, you know, part of her Targaryen, you know, grappling with her Targaryen heritage and and legacy and what that means and that maybe the Targaryens have always been anti-slavery. Maybe that was, you know, like that she's just fulfilling a part of what it means to be a Targaryen by burning, that like burning the masters is part of what it means to be a Targaryen is to, you know, that was what they did. They were involved in destroying the masters of Valyria. So
0: I even wonder if- I like
1: it. I like it.
0: So consider this. It is still possible that Danny's the dreamer did see the doom. We know that Targaryens have prophetic dreams a lot. That is very much a Targaryen thing. So we could even get into like dark- you know, time-travel paradox territory where they saw the Doom coming and then, like, figured out that they were actually supposed to make it happen, and then so sort of they sort of participated in fulfilling the, the vision, like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to destroy Valeria. Mm. So maybe it was that kind of vision. And then the other thing that, about Sign's importance is, like, what else did Danny's The Dreamer see? Did she see Daenerys? And do the Faceless mm. Men know what's in that book? See, that, right. that could be That's how this all ties together, is that it's not that House Targaryen has maintained this knowledge all this time, but the Faceless Men may have knowledge of Dany's prophecies, Dany's the Dreamer's prophecies, and thus they might know that they are waiting for Dany and that she's important to fight the others and all that kind of stuff. And um, the other thing is, uh, yes, Marwyn the Mage and Quaithe, two of my favorite characters. I guess I'll go ahead and mention the Starry Wisdom conspiracy, which is not really a conspiracy, just a theory. So Starry Wisdom Church, founded by the Bloodstone Emperor in Ashai, and it's it's the darkest religion that we know of, or whatever, we do know that it is still practiced to this day in port towns and by sailors. And this makes a lot of sense because sailors in the olden days all have to be astronomers, of course. That's how you navigate the seas is by the stars. Mm -hmm. And so it has always been true in the real world that Uh, sailors tend to gravitate towards astronomy-based religions. And so it makes sense that the cult of Starry Wisdom is therefore practiced in port cities around the world. And then we've got this cool line about Marwyn and all the weird, creepy stuff he does, one of which is hanging out at strange dockside temples, which sounds like Starry Wisdom Church. And, of course, um, the glass candles, I think, are a key thing, because they're associated with Valyria, but, of course, we know that Quave (coughs) is from a shy. And Quaithe sits in a shy using the glass candle. That's how she's communicating with Danny and appearing to Danny. So I I tend to think that Starry Wisdom Church is all about astral projection and the fact that we see Quaithe and Marwyn both using glass candles. They're both concerned about the others. They're both highly aware of prophecy. They both believe Daenerys is the chosen one. And so I think there's a confluence of ideas here. I do think they are Starry Wisdom connected. And I think that Danny, when she gets into that glass candle, like. I I don't know. I've got all kinds of hopes for seeing more glimpses of the Great Empire of the Dawn, or Danny seeing more stuff about the past, more talk of Star Wisdom Church openly. When I mean Marwin and Danny talking is going to be fascinating.
1: The other piece to fit in here is Relor potentially, and we didn't even talk about relore, But Relorism was the religion of the slaves, um, in the Freehold, mm. and the Relorists also believe that Danny is the chosen one that's the word coming out from the red temple in volantis is that danny is the yeah. chosen in volantis and danny seems potentially poised we talked we've talked about this before that danny seems poised to destroy at least the inner city of volantis which who lives in the inner city of volantis the slave masters um so that could have potentially tie in as well we didn't talk about relor or valorism potentially being involved with the doom um because it's the religion of the slaves um, and kind of how that might be connected. like that's another piece to throw in here with the faceless men and all of that is did the did relorism play a role or rolllorists play a role at all in any of this? We don't really have much evidence, but we know that it's the religion of the slaves um and that the relorists are seem like they're excited for Danny destroying slavery and poised to try and bring her to Volantis to destroy slavers living in the inner city of volantis so
0: yeah, I'm. I'm just anticipating the big, uh, high. You know, the sparrows versus Rolores showdown that's coming in Westeros. All the the religious zealots going to war. But yes, like you said, it is the religion of the slaves, and so that is gonna. It's very convenient for Danny.
1: Yeah, AK says death by fire is. Uh, Alicia Kingston says death by fire is sacred to the Rolores. so it makes sense that they would back Danny, which again fits with that idea. Death is mercy. Death is sacred. Death by fire is sacred. Danny's going to be burning the whites. That all ties in as well. It's just another layer of symbolism and theme that connects.
0: Thank you, Alicia Kingston. And Ambitious Witch asks uh, says, "I always thought Church of Starry Wisdom is a shadow over insmal Lovecraft reference. It is, but it's not just that. George has taken several Lovecraft things, but they're not just nods. He like makes his own version of them and does stuff with them. So Church of Starry Wisdom does appear to be active. And like I said, I think both Quaithe and Marwin are apart, which means they have a plan for Danny."
1: Guilty Undertaker does mention that Jack Jack and Hagar mentions the Red God. That's right, with Arya. When they're fleeing out of when they're fleeing out of the city, the or no, that's the nameless god. But anyway no, he, he I does. think he does mention no, the red. No, he does. Gods. He mentions yeah. him of so Fire that.
0: and how the three should have burned and that's why they owe the death to, to uh the red god and all that, yeah.
1: So yeah. Good job. But yes, super chat.
0: Thank you, Catherine Halverson, who likes the direction that the chat has taken. Enthusiasm returning in a big way. Well, that is music to my ears. That's just what we want to hear. Yeah, the air mm-hmm. is starting to clear. The, the, the bad show-ending bitterness is starting to dissipate. We've all gotten stuff off our chest, and we're remembering why we love the books so much, because it's got all kinds of fun stuff in here. And the last conspiracy theory I'll throw in here is Dragon Bomb Theory. Um, the other theory about how the Faceless Men could have pulled off the Doom has to do with dragon eggs potentially being explosive. This primarily comes from Summerhall. We know that Summerhall was this giant conflagration that burned much hotter than the alchemists expected. And we also know that seven dragon eggs were present and that the whole purpose of this was to wake these dragon eggs. And so potentially, dragon eggs might have explosive power inside of them if you do the wrong sorcery. And so we've also got mm. this event at Hardhome where the, the, a Hardhome blew up in a giant conflagration that was seen from the wall. Okay, which is a long way away. It looked like the sun was rising in the north, they said. So this could be a volcanic event, obviously. Hard home shows signs of volcanic activity because it, there's fertile soil around there. We have those caves in the, in the hills, the screaming caves, which definitely could be lava rock, lava tubes, or something like that. However, there's this really weird tale of a maester from the Citadel, who goes and visits Hardhome before it blows up. And he goes there and talks to a lot of wildlings and collects lore and asks questions, then goes straight back to the Citadel and writes a book and then returns to Har- or he leaves the Citadel and is never seen from again. And then shortly after, Hardhome blows up. And so it's possible that Hardhome was, was I've even heard it suggested that it was a test for the Doom, that they were blowing up dragon eggs, trying to see, you know, trying to, like I said, develop the Doom technology, because Hardholm happened about 600 years ago, meaning a, a couple, like 150 years before the Doom or so. Something like that. Okay, so here's the quote. Um, let me read this and then give me your thoughts. So it says, Hardhome was once the only settlement approaching a town in the lands beyond the wall, sheltered on Storold's Point and commanding a deep water harbor. But 600 years ago it was burned and its people destroyed, though the Watch cannot say for a certainty what happened. Some say the cannibals from Skagos fell on them, others that the slavers from across the narrow sea were at fault. The strangest stories from a ship of the Watch sent to investigate tell of hideous screams echoing down from the cliffs above Hardhome, where no living man or woman could be found. A most fascinating account of Hardhome can be found in Maester Willis's Hardhome, an account of three years spent beyond the wall among savages, raiders, and woods witches. Willis journeyed to Hardhome on a Pentoshi trader and established himself there as a healer and counselor so that he might write of their customs. He was given the protection of Gorm the wolf, a chieftain who shared control of Hardhome with three other chiefs. When Gorm was murdered in a drunken brawl, however, Willis found himself in mortal danger and made his way back to Oldtown. There he sent down his account only to vanish the year after the illuminations were done. It was said in the citadel that he was last seen at the docks looking for a ship that would take him to Eastwatch by the sea, and meeting back to Hardhome. Um, So, like I said, this is shortly before it blew up and we've got maesters going up there and doing research, coming back to the Citadel, sharing whatever they learned, and then going back to Hardhome. Why is he going back? Maybe he had a wildling girlfriend. Maybe, that'd be the sweet thing. But just maybe, just maybe, they were planting dragon bombs and messing around with the Doom technology. (laughs)
1: Uh, I don't know how to change names is uh, mentioning what I was just thinking, which is that the idea of eggs having explosive power uh, that causes a bunch of fire goes back to the moon and the moon meteor because the moon is an egg that is filled with dragons. The moon is a dragon egg and the moon exploded and rained down shards that caused fires in the long night. So yes, that would be the connection between like, mo- like dra- eggs having some kind of explosive power is the moon. Thank you. The, the the moon explosion.
0: This so. this this sort of thing fills my heart with joy. <laughs> so the dragon. Got to get
1: moon meteor apocalypse in there somewhere.
0: Uh, and so Matt Diff with a super chat says. The idea of eggs exploding is kind of like how the others use the potential life of a child, or the warlocks wanting Danny's potential, or Danny's baby Rago going into the waking of the dragon. So yeah, that definitely fits. Absolutely, it does. Mm-hmm. Right. Th- thematically. Fits with that
1: whole idea of sacrificing fertility for power, which is something that runs all through The Song of Ice and Fire, which is a very mythological idea. Um, that in order to have, like eternal life frequently comes at the at the cost of fertility.
0: Cool. So, to wrap this up, I want to sum up the basic uh, logic that we went through at the beginning. I see a lot of people have joined us midstream, and it's always good to sum things up at the end. Tell them what you're going to say, then say it, then tell them what you just said, you know? So, basically the idea here, if you're joining us late, is that we know the Faceless Men were involved in the Doom, because the Kindly Man tells Arya that they brought the gift to the Masters. Uh, We know that the Valerians had a sorceress relationship with the 14 Flames. They were a source of magic. We know that Valeria existed for 5,000 years on top of all these volcanoes, apparently without them ever blowing their top, and then all of a sudden they blew at once, which strongly suggests they're using magic to keep them out of equilibrium, like a banked fire in a forge. And so that sets up the very logical mechanism for the Faceless Men to cause the doom, because what do the Faceless Men do? They assassinate people. All you've gotta do is assassinate the mages, keeping control of the volcanoes, maybe even just over one volcano, but perhaps everywhere, and then everything's gonna get out of control, everything blows up. Then we have a prophecy that is referred to in the World of Ice and Fire of an old Valerian prophecy that the doom of Valeria would have something to do with the gold of Casterly Rock. Then we're told that the um, that Lannisters bought Brightroar, a Valyrian steel sword, most likely from House Targaryen. They paid enough army, enough uh, gold to raise an army. Um, so now we have the gold of Casterly Rock in motion in the hands of the Targaryens right before the doom happens. And the Faceless Men did the doom, so you can see how this works. House Targaryen pays the Faceless Men to pull off the doom. They're left with the only people with dragons, and fait du complet. There you go. So that is that is right. the working theory. I have elevated it from conspiracy theory to probably probably true. That is my determination. Yep. Probably true. So
1: I agree. I agree that it's probably true. I think it may I think it makes more sense than anything else that I can think of. Because the faceless men like it's one of those like the okay, we know the faceless men are involved. Someone must have hired them. And, yeah, all of the pieces just fit so neatly together. I don't think you could come up with another... I don't think you could come up with a theory that's more plausible or even approaches this level of plausibility for for what happened.
0: So, well, the alternative is that the Faceless Men did it of their own volition and that that prophecy about the Lannister gold is just stupid and doesn't have any meaning and just wasn't true. That's the alternative. Which is not
1: generally... Right, which is not generally how Martin works. And it, like, it fits so nicely with that whole... like um the fact that the Valerians didn't touch the gold of Castle rock you know because like they were so we know that the Valerians were so greedy for gold and silver that they kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the 14 into the volcanoes around the 14 flames looking for gold and silver and you have Castle rock like not that far away and you have dragons and you could totally steal that gold but if you have a prophet it's one of those like to try and avert the prophecy, they ended up kind of fulfilling it by leaving the gold of Castley Rock alone. Then the Lannisters were able to use that gold to buy a sword from the Targaryens. And then the Targaryens then used that gold to hire the Faceless Man. Like if the Valyrians had been willing to like dig for that gold in Casterly Rock, then the Lannisters wouldn't have had the gold to buy the Valyrian steel sword that, you know, the gold from which was then used by the targaryens to hire the faceless men so by trying to avert the prophecy by avoiding the gold they ended up fulfilling the prophecy because the gold you know found its way there in another way which is like the kind of ironic fulfillment that george just loves with prophecy that like the more you try and avoid it the more likely it is that it's going to actually happen
0: there you go. And uh, people have been pointing out that it does echo roughly thematically the minds of Moria, the idea of the dwarves yes. delving too deep and you know, l- releasing the Balrogs and all that stuff. So yeah, right. it's, a, it's different, you know, obviously different spin, but a lot of the themes are present, so very cool. And my lighting just changed and now it's like all super bright on my face. Why is this happening? There we go. Cameras are weird. Anyways. They are weird. Well, there you go, guys. Thank you very much for joining us today, uh, discussing the Doom of Valyria. And there you go, it was an inside job. The Targaryens did it, and wow. Pretty cool, huh? This is like, probably the most successful conspiracy plotting like thing that anyone's ever done in history, if this is true, in A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, this was massively successful. This <laughs> <It's> really worked. <laughs>
1: Right, Corlys so, yeah. Whitefire points out in the chat, I wouldn't even be surprised if there were certain members of House Targaryen early on in Fire and Blood who are aware of the conspiracy. Reyna at one point says Valyria cannot rise again. So she may have been mm. saying, like, Valyria, like, we won't let that happen. Like, we have specifically put down, it may be, it's like, you know... Implying that she knew why the Targaryens had had been involved in destroying Valyria, and that they wouldn't allow that kind of thing to happen, that it like cannot in terms of must not. I'd have to go back to read the context. I remember that quote, but that's a really really good
0: point. Yeah, keep that in the back of your um, head. A, a back of your head as you do uh, your Fire and Blood reread. And Karl Karstark yes. asks, "How will we ever get confirmation?" Well, the faceless men know if this if they did it. Um, and they are going like we said they earlier in the stream. I don't know if you missed it, but we were discussing could they have a purpose for Aria or even Daenerys. So yeah, they we might find out what that purpose is, and it may tie back to this history with the Doom. And Danny's going to be having that glass candle from Marwyn. Marwyn knows a lot of stuff himself. He's seen a few pages of this book, so Marwyn might just tell Danny. Danny might see history in a glass candle vision. Um, and like I said the whole uh, Faceless Men iron bank conspiracy is kind of a smoking gun on the shelf at this point. So whenever that plot comes out, whatever Jaqen's doing with the book at the Citadel, like we're gonna find out something about where that's going. And that I think is how we will find out about the answer to this Doom conspiracy. There you go. By the way, uh, in A Dance With Dragons, Danny is presented a tapestry of Valyria before the Doom that covers half the floor of her throne room. And I just want that tapestry. Can someone make that? That would be awesome.
1: Oh man, that would be really, really cool. So, uh, shall we, uh, shall we hype our things?
0: Uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: That we're doing. So yeah, that was an excuse for me to say, can I hype my thing?
0: Well, you're I'm reminding <laughs> David, me. I always forget. So.
1: Yeah, David has mentioned a couple of times about doing a Fire and Blood reread. I am currently working on. Um, I'm going to be exploring the dance, very in depth exploration of the dance of dragons. Partly because we're hopefully going to be getting it on the new prequel show, but also because I think that, as as David said, the dance is the closest is you know the most extensive real world of, like historical event that we have. We have the most information about the dance, so clearly Martin cares a lot about the dance and wants us to know what happened during the dance of the dragons, and I think that is partly because, uh, in the dance of dragons, we can foresee. It foreshadows events and arcs and potential characters for the current storyline. And I know that when the prequel show was announced, people made the connection between the way Danny died and the way uh, Rhaenyra dies at the end of the dance, and assuming that Rhaenyra and Danny are parallels for each other. And uh, I think that's wrong. So, uh, part that's part of what I'm going to be talking about in the dance. Like, really, I just want to do like a big in-depth analysis. We're going to talk about symbolism. We're going to talk about mythology. We're going to talk about characters because there are some really interesting characters. But there's also some potential, some really good nuggets for foreshadowing what I think the the winds of winter and a dream of spring are going to do with uh, with these characters. But also, I think it's a good way to show that like Danny doesn't go crazy because the the dance parallel for for Rhaenyra. The parallel and the modern storyline for Rhaenyra and the dance is not Danny; it's Cersei. They have a lot in common. Yes, they so do. So eh? I, I I, wrote up my script for my so my first kind of intro video that's gonna be coming out hopefully soon. I have to edit it and then record it. So I'm doing that. Uh, that's what I'm working on, A Song of Us and Firewise. And then we have a live stream coming up on Wednesday, but I'm not going to be the only guest. So David can tell tell you all who else is gonna be involved. It's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, so we'll have Melanie Lot 7 and Quinn from Quinn's Ideas. He changed his YouTube channel from Ideas of Ice and Fire to just Quinn's Ideas, because he's been branching out, obviously. So yeah, it'll be a nice full crew, all four of us. I'm gonna let Gretchen and Melanie and Quinn get in on their comments of what we've discussed already in the first three Danny episodes, but I'll also be taking a lot of questions from the chat. The first three Danny streams, we have had a lot of notes, and I Oh, man. My computer went to sleep while I was recording. What the hell was that? So, hey, guys, that was the end of the recording, but uh, my computer did sort of humorously chop off the last, like, 30 seconds there, so I just thought I'd leave that on for you guys. But that is the end of the live stream. Thanks a lot for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, It is now Wednesday morning, which is still Tuesday night for me. I am editing this and putting it up on the feed for you guys. And I will see you later today, Wednesday... 7 Eastern to talk about a couple of things from Storm of Swords that we missed and to take all your questions. So, hope to see you there and I'm going to get some rest. See you later, guys.